0: We're gonna have, am I working? Yes? We're gonna have our reading now, um, so it'd be helpful if you could get a Bible, and it's from Matthew 25, starting at verse 14. Matthew 25. Again, it, and that's the kingdom of God, will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid. I went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not (coughs) scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him. Give it to the one who has the ten talents everyone who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Oops. Sorry. Well, hello, Um, my name's Lynn Sefton, if you don't know me. um, I'm an occasional preacher at, usually at St. Giles Church, so this is the first time I've preached in St. George's, which is lovely. I just wish there were more people here, (laughs) but uh, hello at home. Um, So this is the last in our series looking at the parables that Jesus told. And it's probably quite a familiar story to most of us, and on the face of it, it seems quite straightforward. Um, God is like the master who entrusts us with things, money, possessions, abilities, and if we use them well in his service, God will be pleased, we'll get a reward. If we don't, God will be angry and will be judged, perhaps even excluded from his kingdom. But when I was starting to prepare this sermon I was thinking well that doesn't really fit with what we're always told about parables that they're really designed to make us think and draw us in and that they're mysterious and there's a a hidden message so I thought there must be more and I've been reading this story and rereading it and really grappling with it over the weeks and I think I have actually discovered some hidden Well, lots of hidden value in it, which I want to share with you. Um, And let's revisit the parable. And I think we're so familiar, we just kind of gloss over things, don't we? So I'd really encourage you to try and listen as if Jesus is telling this for the first time to you. It's not just, oh yeah, I know this parable. So it starts with a man going away on a journey and we're not told where or how long he'll be gone. Actually, we're not even told he's coming back and he entrusts his property to his three servants. Um, He gives them varying amounts. Two of the servants are really diligent. Off they go, straight to work, doing business with their money. But the third, you know, and this is the first kind of thing we'll be thinking is slightly surprising, he's reacted differently. He buries the money in the ground. And in Jesus' time, people actually did used to do that sometimes to keep their wealth safe if they thought it might be at risk. And I think maybe his listeners are thinking, you know, is is war going to break out? Or maybe this servant doesn't think his master is ever coming back. And he's a bit sneaky. Is he like, well, I'll bury it and then someone else will come back when it's safe. I'll dig it up and it will all be mine. Well, the story goes on and we find out that the master does actually return. And he wants to find out what the servants have done with his money. So what's the third servant going to do now? At this point, I'd like to just invite you to step back with me into the 21st century to a little parable from my own life. Um, as some of you know, I'm studying theology at St. Malitus, and that includes some New Testament Greek. And last week, I was in a Greek Zoom class. I never thought I'd say those words. Um, we were supposed to have translated a passage from Romans and researched carefully into all the commentaries, and I just hadn't done it. To be honest, I was expecting that most of the class wouldn't have done it. I don't know why. But as the sort of teacher picked on people to translate and talk about a verse, it became clear everyone else had done it like, really thoroughly. And I'm sitting there thinking, oh, no, now what are my options? So I could just own up. Well, first of all, actually, I counted up the number of people on the Zoom call and the number of verses. And then there were loads of verses and not so many people. I'm thinking, oh, no, it's going to get round to me. So then I'm thinking, I need a really good excuse. But then I thought, maybe I could... You know, we're on Zoom. There could be a convenient tech problem. Um, So I thought... Did you get that? I thought, you know, I could pretend to be speaking, mouthing random words, but nothing would be coming out. Um, then I could just type in the chat, so sorry, must have an audio problem. Um, do you think I actually did it? I'll leave you to decide. <laughs> but back to the parable. And I imagine that the third servant was sort of going through a similar process, maybe. And the first two servants come forward. They've done their homework. Well done, good and faithful servant. And now it's his turn what's he going to do? So verse 24, we hear what he says. He says, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. And I read that and I thought, actually, that's the first surprise. He's just accused the master, basically, of being a thief, appropriating other people's crops. So he translated to my modern day parable of the harsh, of the bad student, it would be as if, teacher said to me all right Lynn your turn and I said well I know that you're a really hard demanding teacher you shout at your students you bribe the external moderators to achieve better results and so I was too afraid to even do the work but look here's your textbook back safe and sound how do you think my teacher would have responded to that not very well I don't think and the master in the parable doesn't respond very well either He's incensed and he judges the servant by his own words. Well, if you really thought I'm so hard and demanding, you should have at least got me a kind of guaranteed minimal return. You've insulted me, you give an excuse that doesn't even add up. But then we come to the sort of final twist, and this is the part of the parable we probably do always find surprising in verses 28 to 29. The master orders that the one talent be taken from him and given to the first servant who already has the most. And now we're a bit confused. We're thinking, hang on, is the master good? Because if he's good, why doesn't he behave fairly? Maybe the third servant was right in his judgment. And so I was puzzling these things over and thinking, well, we equate being good with being fair but actually, if you remember back to a few weeks ago, Nico was talking about another parable, um, the workers in the vineyard. And there, every worker was paid the same wage, even though some had worked for the whole day in the heat and others had only worked an hour. And the point of that parable was that actually God isn't fair, not because he's bad, but because he's so overwhelmingly good and generous, because he doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives everyone much, much more than they ever deserve. And I think this bit of the parable is making the same point. It's that giving the talent to the one who already has 10 highlights how things work in God's kingdom. It's not on the basis of sort of a balance the books, tick box exercise, God giving people what they deserve, but it's on outrageously generous grace. And that's the first surprising message We need to really take on board from this parable. And the second thing I think lies in the contrast between how the servants are described. The third servant is described as wicked and lazy in verse 26. Now, if we read this quickly, we think ah lazy, so the message is we need to be busy, do more work. But then that contradicts this message of grace. So mulling over this puzzle, and, and this is actually where I did do some Greek, and I discovered that the Greek word used here for lazy, okneros, actually the root is to kind of hesitate and be reluctant to participate or disinterested. And it's contrasted, you'll note, with the good servants who are commended not for being busy or hardworking, but for being faithful, which in Greek is pistis, and that is the word actually for believing. So the first two servants were believing, and I think that this is the key to unlocking another hidden message in this parable. So how were the first two servants believing? Well, first, they believed that the master would return. They would have to give an account for how they behaved, and so this you know, had an impact. And in contrast, the third servant, I think, had doubts about whether that master was ever returning. And that too affected the way he behaved. Was it really worth spending his time and effort on the master's business if the master never came back? And secondly and crucially, I think the first two servants believed in the goodness of their master. They believed that he was generous and kind, that there was no need to be afraid of him. I think we get a sense of that in the way that they come and present and they say, look, you gave me this and I got you that. It's a bit like a child um, coming and joyfully saying to their parent, look what I've done. And the parent says, yes, well done, that's great. And he says, come and share your master's happiness. We skipped over this, but I think this phrase contains a surprising hidden truth as well. You know, why would a master um, in... In Jesus' time, probably the servant was also a slave. Why would he invite the slave to celebrate with him? That's just not how masters normally behave. And it reminded me of Jesus' words to his disciples on the night of the Last Supper in John 15:15. 15, 15. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I learned from my father, I have made known to you. And he also says, I've told you this, so my joy may be in you, and your joy may be complete. I think the reluctance of the third servant to participate in his master's business um, was because he thought probably he'd gain more benefit from looking out for his own interests, which he might have been very busy pursuing, actually. And it rested on his lack of faith, really, his unbelief. The first two servants had a right understanding of who their master was. And that's why they were keen to get involved in his business. They knew he was good, kind and generous. They knew it was an honour and a privilege to work with him. And I don't think that they were actually commended for the profit that they made, but rather that they'd grasped the truth of what it meant to work with this master and what he was like. And that's what really pleased the master. That's why he wanted them to come and share in his joy and happiness. Now, the final verse is, you know, it's one of those verses in the Bible. There's always one, isn't there, that we want to leave out. And we're like, oh, no, throw him outside, weeping and gnashing of teeth. And our heart kind of sinks. And I was thinking, but actually, imagine what would have happened if the third servant had responded differently differently. What if he had just owned up to his mistake, admitted he'd got it wrong? He'd seen that actually this master is not a hard, harsh, horrible man. What if he'd asked for mercy instead of trying to brazen it out? Blame God. Shift the blame. I think we would have had a very different ending to the parable. Because every time in the Bible when someone realises they've been wrong and admits it to God and is truly sorry and asks for mercy, God forgives. Think of the prodigal son welcomed home with a massive party and the repentant thief on the cross welcomed into paradise to be with Jesus. The problem is that this third servant, even when faced with the evidence of his master's goodness and generosity shown to the first two servants, just couldn't admit that he had been wrong. Wrong about whether he would be called to account, wrong about what his master was like. And wrong, sadly, about where and how he should invest his time and effort to find true blessing and joy. So I am ending soon, sorry, I've gone on. But just two things I want you to be clear, this parable is not teaching. It's not teaching that God is harsh and mean and we need to be afraid of him. And it's not saying that the way to please him is to be really busy and successful But it is teaching that we will all have to give account to God. It is all teaching, is teaching that God is good, loving, generous and kind and wants to bless us and give us joy. And our actions are important but primarily actually of evidence of what's inside of us. What we believe about God and how we relate to him. So God's kingdom is all about outrageous undeserved grace and in order to receive this grace we just need to believe in jesus's lordship and his goodness and then we will act accordingly and then we too will hear the approving words well done good and faithful or believing servants come and share your master's happiness so if the band could come up we're going to have a a time of response and I hope you're able to kind of continue engaging with this at home Um, and just some possible areas you might want to reflect on firstly like do you truly believe that God is good and loving and generous because if if you don't God really wants to change that in your heart and minister to you because when that's When we're absolutely convinced of that truth, that is when we are freed to to serve him and to love him and to love other people. And we know that it's worth it. We know it's worth investing our time and energy for God because we know actually our interests are so closely aligned, you know, and, and he wants our good. He wants joy for us. I also felt when I was preparing, there might be some people who kind of relate to the servant who's only been given one and they're thinking, it's unfair, God's been unfair to me, he gives other people so much, and I've got so little, maybe especially in this time of lockdown, and just, I feel God wants to encourage us that it doesn't matter if you've been given one, two, or five, you know, God loves you the same, and if you respond the same, everyone's going to get the well-done, good and faithful servant, everyone's invited to share the joy, so don't be tempted to disengage and retreat or blame others or make excuses just throw yourself on God's mercy yeah and yeah I suppose the thing going through I thought you know isn't it isn't it great that God wants joy for us especially at this time when joy and hope is is quite scarce isn't it I hope you're really encouraged that God's invitation and his offer is to joy and that's a joy in the eternal future secure with him but it's also a joy here and now although the master in this parable goes away that's not you know parables aren't giving systematic theology Jesus is here with us by his spirit and he wants to bring us his joy and his peace right here and now as well